Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. There's an old praise chorus from the 1980s that's based on the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. It's called, Seek Ye First. Stephen Love says our tendency is to get the order of things confused. In my heart of hearts, I've sort of reversed the song to say, seek ye first all these things and God will be added unto you. But folks, that's not how it works. Because all those things are not the author and provider of God. But God is definitely the author and provider of all those things. So he sends them out and says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And he's reminding them that he is in control. And since he is in control, we can trust him with our lives. At Gospel City Church, we are all about glorifying God and making disciples. And one of those ways that we make disciples is by faithfully proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. So if you've ever visited Gospel City or if you've ever listened to one of our live streams, you are going to hear someone say, open your Bibles. That's because the preacher's not smart enough or creative enough to come up with anything better than what God's timeless word has given us. So here on Resonate, we are in a series looking at a section of the Gospel of Luke. The series is entitled, Who Do You Say That I Am? And Luke is giving us the answer to that question, Who is Jesus? It features messages from several of the pastors here at Gospel City Church, and today you are going to hear from one of my favorite pastors. His name is Stephen Love. Stephen is on our church staff. He is our church planter in residence. That means that we've only got him for a short time. Stephen's going to be planting Redemption City Church in the heart of South Bend. He and his wife Mandy are working hard. They've come here from Chicago, even though Stephen was born and raised here in South Bend. They have a heart for the city, and we're looking forward to what God's going to do through the faithful ministry of Stephen and Mandy. I love listening to Stephen preach because he is so passionate. You're going to find that out very soon. And his passion comes from the things that we value most here at Gospel City. It's his love and his confidence in the authority of the Word of God as contained in the written scriptures. So let's listen together. Here is Pastor Stephen Love. Little Susan was inquiring about the great lion Aslan and the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Mr. Beaver said, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was just a man. Is he quite safe? I would feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, Mr. Beaver said. Who said anything about safe? He isn't safe, but he's good. And he's the king, I tell you. And Gospel City, he is the king. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to Luke chapter 9, this a.m. Hear the word of the Lord. Summoning the twelve, he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for the road, he said. 
No staff, no traveling bag, no bread, no money, and don't take an extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. If they do not welcome you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and traveled from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. Herod the Tetrarch heard about everything that was going on. He was perplexed because some had said that John had been raised from the dead. Some that Elijah had appeared and others that one of the ancient prophets had risen. I beheaded John, Herod said. But who is this I hear such things about? And he wanted to see him. Before we even step too many feet into our text for this morning, we figure out rather quickly that Jesus Christ is in control. That Jesus Christ is sovereign. We look at verse 1 and we hear the words of Mr. Beaver echoing in our ears that Christ is king. Because verse 1 tells us, summoning the 12, he gave them authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Summoning the 12. I love how the Oxford English Dictionary defines the word summon. It says authoritatively call on someone to be present. The king is calling his disciples. And saints, when the king calls, it's not an option. But notice in the text how the authority of Christ keeps trickling down. He authoritatively calls his disciples and then he gives them authority to carry out what he is calling them to do. In other words, Christ isn't telling them or calling them to something that he isn't able to fulfill in them. Allow me to make a bridge from then to today. If Christ calls us to something that we look at that is way above our pay grade, that should be a moment for us to rejoice. Because what Christ is calling us to is that he's inviting us to front row seats to behold what he is getting ready to do in us. So whenever Christ calls and we're like, Lord, wow, I don't know if I can do that. That's so far above me. We're like, yes, Lord, please do that because we know you're getting ready to act and act triumphantly. So he summons them. He calls the 12 and then he gives them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Two observations about the disciples receiving this power and authority over all demons. First observation is this. Let us not begin to think, brothers and sisters, that there is some cosmic power struggle between Satan and his demons and Christ the Lord. Let us not begin to think that there's some epic game of tug of war going on and we're anxiously waiting on our seats to behold who is going to get the upper hand. No, brothers and sisters, Christ is king. Christ has won. He is winning and he will win. And saints, it's not even close. He summons them. Second observation about this point in Luke chapter 9, Christ has so much power and authority, he can even put the B team in the game and the demons still respect his word. The B team, of course, being the disciples and by illustration, the B team being us. Sorry, y'all, we didn't, we didn't make varsity. We're on the B team. 
That's how much power he has that even when his disciples are facing the demons, they tremble at the name of Jesus Christ, summoning them. It's a big difference. I have four little ones, four kids, and it's a big difference when one of my kids tries to tell another one of my kids authoritatively something to do. My other kid is looking at them like, who are you to tell me anything? But it's a different ball game. When one of my kids goes to another one of my kids and they begin the command like this, daddy said, this is what we do. We go out into the world. Disciples go out into the world. It's like, it's not us. It's in the name of Jesus that the authority lies and the authority rests. The good part about all of this is that Christ takes what he has been doing and hands it over to this ragtag group of disciples. Christ takes perfection and he places it into the hands of imperfection. That should cause us to stand back and marvel and rejoice that Christ would entrust anything to anyone else, (laughs) namely his people, that these unrighteous lips can extol the praises of a righteous God that perfection can speak and he would hand it over to imperfection and now we're brought into the work that God would place these rich treasures into jars of clay. A wonder of wonders. Christ is in control and since he's in control, he can be trusted with the message but also, brothers and sisters, we can trust Christ with our lives since he is in control. Verses three through five can be summarized like this. It is a wholehearted dependence on God when even the barest of necessities are not stockpiled. Everything about this mission says that the disciples have to depend on God and depend on God alone. If God isn't going to provide it, I don't know how it's going to be provided. But notice what he tells them to leave behind. The first thing he says, disciples, that staff that you're holding in your hand, you need to leave that staff behind. When you read the Old Testament, oftentimes when when God will sort of delegate his power to men, the staff was sort of the sign of that authority and power. So if you look in Numbers chapter 17, when God selects Aaron, he causes his staff to bud and produce almonds. More prominently, you remember Moses and Pharaoh, right? It was the staff in Moses' hand that sort of quintessentially manifested the power and authority of God. But here in Luke chapter 9, we have the God-man telling his disciples to do away with that symbol of authority. Why? Why? Beloved, it's because the power and authority rest in Christ and his word. Not what has historically been thought of as authoritative. It rests in Christ and his word alone. Allow me to build a bridge from then till today. It is a recipe for disaster when any man or woman, whomever they are, seeks to authoritatively say anything or amass authority to themselves other than standing firm-footed on the word of God. He's given it to his disciples. All authority. 
Next, he tells them to leave that traveling bag behind. Traveling bag in this day was simply a bag that these men used to carry their possessions. My wife made fun of me so badly a couple of months ago because I told her I wanted to buy a fanny pack. Right? Or, or some people call it a man purse, which is a purse. I told her, I said, babe, I'm buying a fanny pack or a purse. And she made fun of me so bad. But I'm, I'm looking at Luke chapter 9, and I'm seeing that a fanny pack is biblical. <laughs> but they didn't need a purse. Because Christ is telling them to rely on him, and he will provide their daily bread. Because the next thing he told them to leave behind is their bread. That's an amazing command. And it sort of echoes out what Christ said over in Matthew chapter 6. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he gathers us around and he takes us on a field trip outside. And he says, you see the birds of the sky? They neither reap nor sow nor gather into barns, yet their heavenly Father takes care of them. Aren't you worth more than them? Oh, if I can sing like Micah or Savannah, I would break out into that song, His Eye is on the Sparrow. The lyrics of that song say, When Jesus is my portion, a constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches, he watches me. Leave it behind, Christ tells him. Also, he says, leave the money behind. A lot of folks have heard the passage of Scripture that says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, right? We've heard that text before, but it is, it is couched in a broader text that's talking about money because in Hebrews chapter 13, it says, keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Not only that, in the case the disciples were thinking about changing clothes halfway through the journey, Christ said, leave that extra shirt at home. Again, Christ takes his disciples on a field trip to show them exactly what he's talking about and it sort of echoes in Matthew chapter 6, 27, where it says, and, and why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They neither labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field that grows one day and is thrown into the furnace the next, how will he care for you, oh, you of little faith? Christ says. Anybody know who Salty is, the singing songbook? Yeah, we got some live. We got some righteous people who know who Salty is. The singing songbook, he put those words into a chorus. And since my oldest son was born, we sing this song to him every night before he goes to bed. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Y'all know that song? Yeah. My kids love my singing. I don't care if you guys don't. They love it. 
And every night we sing that song, it sort of convicts me at the core because I know that some days I've spent the majority of the day seeking everything else but the kingdom of God. In my heart of hearts, I've sort of reversed the song to say, seek ye first all these things and God will be added unto you. But folks, that's not how it works. Because all those things are not the author and provider of God. But God is definitely the author and provider of all those things. So he sends them out and says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And he's reminding them that he is in control. And since he is in control, we can trust him with our lives. But not only can we trust him with our lives, saints, we can trust him with our contentment. Did you catch that in verse 4? It says, when you go into a house, stay there and leave from there. In other words, don't get bored or tired of the provision that I have provided for you. This is a scary reminder, brothers. This is a scary reminder that the disciples were getting ready to go out on this journey. And they had nothing. They left everything behind. And yet Christ still has to remind them, when I provide something for you, don't get tired of it. Isn't that amazing? As I built this bridge again from then to today, when was the last time we asked or begged God for something or someone? And not three seconds after God has provided it, knowing all things, we go back to God and say, God, I'm sort, of, I'm sort of bored with this. It doesn't really meet my specifications. So it reminds them, you go to that house and you stay in that house. There's a quote by A.W. Pink that says this, Satan is ever seeking to inject that poison into our hearts to distrust God's goodness especially in connection with his commandments. That is what really lies behind all evil, lusting, and disobedience, a discontent with our position and portion, a craving from something which God has wisely held from us. Reject any suggestion that God is unduly severe with you. Resist with the utmost abhorrence anything that causes you to doubt God's love and his loving kindness towards you. Allow nothing to make you question the father's love for his child. Satan sort of whispers in our ear. Christ reminds them when I provide, be content with that. And since he isn't safe, but he's good, we can trust God with our contentment. Not only that, but in the text, we can trust Christ even when we're being rejected. The man of rejection warns his disciples about rejection in verse 5. You're going to enter into a town. Some of them are going to reject you. When you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Let me make one observation about this, this shaking off of dust. Christ makes this, this point, and he makes the point after the fact. Here's what I mean by that. It is implied in the text that the disciples at least went into the town and tried to bring the kingdom of God into the town. And once they did that and rejected, then they can leave the town. What am I saying? 
I'm saying is that we, are, we should never be in a position to predetermine who is going to accept the gospel and who is not going to accept the gospel. Christ has delegated some of his authority, but not all of it. He is still God and we are not. Let us be surprised by who accepts the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because brothers and sisters, my parents in the room, I know they were surprised (laughs) when God changed my heart. We can trust him even when we're rejected. But we also can trust him with our obedience. Did you catch that in verse 6? Did you notice that? Christ told them to go to these random towns and villages. Don't take nothing with you. Leave everything behind. Everything is like everything plus some. Leave everything behind. Don't even take a shirt with you. And then he goes on to say, and by the way, some of those towns are probably going to reject you. you this, is a, this is a mission calling. Can you imagine that? And he, do you notice what happened in verse 6? These, these sweet four words. So they went out. It's so beautiful. No hesitation. No analysis, though second-guessing day went out. Brothers and sisters, may this be the posture of our hearts before Christ. May we have such reliance and trust in him that he is a God who is well-proven, that he may call us to uncomfortable situations and circumstances, but may it be written of us, so they went out. And then if I can jump ahead to verse 10, that's not my text, but I'm just still a couple of words from verse 10. Another four words that so beautifully ring from the pages. Did you catch that in verse 10? When the disciples returned. What that means simply is that Christ is able to keep you where he calls you. Because he's in control, we can trust him with all these things. We can even trust him with our enemies. It says in Luke chapter 9, I say enemies because Herod is the same one who beheaded John the Baptist. You read about that in verse 9. Now, that is the very definition of an enemy. If you're trying to figure out if somebody is your enemy or not, you have to ask yourself the question, are they trying to chop off my head? If the answer is yes, it's probably a pretty good idea that they don't like you too much. And even this enemy, this Herod, he he asked a question that has been ringing out in the gospel of Luke since the beginning. Who is this guy? Who is this man? A couple of observations about this last point. If you're a note taker, that's like my 45th point you're writing down right now. A couple of observations. First, did you notice who the people thought Jesus Christ is? Some said John the Baptist, some said Elijah, some said the ancient prophets. There was something, beloved, there was something about Jesus that reminded them of what they had seen before, that reminded them of something they read somewhere in the Old Testament scriptures. This is what Christ tells the two men on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. He tells them, look, Moses and all the prophets and all the scripture, they're talking about me. 
There's a problem, saints, when we don't see the scriptures in Christ or when we don't see Christ in the scriptures. He looks so familiar. Second observation. Seeing Christ and submitting to Christ are worlds apart. Seeing Jesus and trusting Jesus are worlds apart. We see that here in Luke chapter 9. Here, he, Oh, he wanted to see Jesus. And we read later on in Luke chapter 23, it records for us the reason why Herod wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to, Jesus to sing a song for him and dance for him and perform a miracle for him. So he kept walking up to Jesus, asking him questions. And Luke so brilliantly records for us, Jesus didn't even respond to Herod. Because Herod figured out what all men figure out one day is that Christ is not a puppet. He is king. Safe? Is it quite safe, Susan said? I should feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe? Said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about being safe? Of course he is not safe. But he's good. And he's the king, I tell you. And brothers and sisters, since Christ is this good king, he can be trusted with our lives. He can be trusted when we're rejected. He can be trusted with our contentment. He can be trusted with everything. And saints, I say, hear me well. Isn't it so sweet to trust in Jesus? Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I've proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. That's Jaden Lovett with his take on a classic hymn, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. Before that, we heard Pastor Stephen Love speaking at Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. Aaron, before we're done today, I'd really like to challenge our listeners. How's it going, Trust in Jesus? Are you trusting Him with your whole heart? Are you trusting Him when you face rejection? How's the contentment level in your life? If you're like me, there's room for improvement in all of those areas. But please hear me well. We can't just muster up some faith. We need to get to know our king better. He's the one who will help us trust him more. So how do you do that? Well, it goes back to using the tools that Jesus gives us. Reading the Bible, praying, getting together with God's people in a local church, and asking others to pray for us. All of these things are things that we can do to better position ourselves to receive what he wants to give us, his grace. And guess what? In the process, by God's grace, we will grow in our faith. So why don't you take a moment today and do a little spiritual inventory. Ask God to show you where you need to grow and then share it with someone who can pray for you to do just that. Well, thank you, Pastor Trent. And just a quick reminder, if you'd like to be a part of a Gospel City Church service, you can stream it online. 
Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. when you go to mygospelcity.org live. Again, that's mygospelcity.org live. And why not follow us on Facebook by searching for Gospel City Church? Well, can you think of some things in your life that you don't have enough of? I bet you can. Next week on Resonate, Pastor Trent will tell us about something that every believer in Jesus has enough of. I hope you'll join us for that. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that trusting God's Word would resonate in your heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church. Live stream our service at mygospelcity.org slash live.